The Leap Foundation proudly presents the Meet the Mentor podcast with Dr. Bill Dorfman. Dr. Bill is a TV host, New York Times bestselling author, two-time Guinness World Book record holder, fitness guru, celebrity cosmetic dentist, and philanthropist who founded the Leap Foundation. Here's Dr. Bill. I am super excited to be doing our debut show in the Citizen Theater in Hollywood, owned and operated by the Salvation Army. And before I get to our mentor for today, let me tell you a little bit why we started this. 16 years ago, we started the LEAP Foundation. What is LEAP? LEAP is a motivational leadership program for entrepreneurs, young entrepreneurs, where we teach students the skills that they need to learn to be successful in life. And these are things they don't normally learn in school. We teach them time management, money management. We teach them health and fitness. We teach them networking. I teach them actually how to apply for a job. So guess what, parents, when your kids graduate high school and then college, they don't come home. They actually go to work. Nice, right? So we've had amazing support from our community, too. I mean, over the years, some of the speakers that we've had, Mark Wahlberg, Anthony Hopkins, Michael Strahan, Kathy Bates, Richard Branson last year, Jason Alexander. It's been phenomenal. And every year we do a one-week program at UCLA. Students live on campus. And the thing that's really cool about LEAP is that 60% of the kids who come to the program come from low-income families where we go out and we raise money so these kids have scholarships and they come to the program. And these are kids that could never, ever, ever afford to go to a program like this. But they spend a week at UCLA and they meet these amazing mentors. And, you know, one of the things we teach at LEAP is copy genius. And the best way to copy genius, I think, <laughs> is to find a great mentor. So we started this Meet the Mentor series with a lot of the speakers that I just told you about. And it became incredibly popular. In fact, this podcast is in the top two and a half percentile of all podcasts worldwide in our category. So we decided to up the game for 2023. This is our debut, as I said, in this beautiful new theater. And I decided to bring in a guest as a mentor who I've known literally as long as I've had my professional career. Ironically, Nick and I started our professional careers literally at the same time. We're about the same age. He looks way better than me and has had probably a much more illustrious career. But let me uh, introduce you to our Meet the Mentor today, Nick Stevens. Nick began his career as a talent agent, agency operator, and media executive for 35 years, beginning at William Morris, believe it or not, in the mailroom. And we'll talk about the mailroom in a little bit. Between 1987 and 1991, Nick worked as a talent agent for innovative artists. In 1991, Nick joined United Talent Agency upon its inception. There, Nick served as agent, owner, and managing director until 2008. During his tenure, Nick discovered and developed some of the most successful artists in the entertainment world, including Jim Carrey, Vince Vaughn, Renee Zelliger, Ben Stiller, and many, many, many more. He also broke new ground as a deal maker. Nick is responsible for packaging some of the most successful movies, television shows, and Broadway plays in history. In 2008, Nick joined Endeavor Agency, where he served 
on the senior leadership team and worked across the Endeavor platform. Nick is one of the most successful and powerful men in Hollywood you probably never heard about. Nick, thanks for being here. This is exciting, man. It's really weird to listen to your cosmic bio being read, especially by your dentist. By your dentist. I mean, I've been your dentist for forever. Over 30 years. Over 30 years. I have a little abrasion on the back of this veneer here. I thought you, you know, hoped you brought yeah, your stuff. So let, let's start at the beginning. I mean, you did not pop out and say, I'm going to be an agent, right? No Sometime one does. Sometime in high school, you started working in the music industry with some punk rock. And why don't you kind of tell us how you got into the whole entertainment industry? What I've discovered is that in the agency business, very few of us rose our hand in high school and college and said, I want to find a path to be an agent. Even with Entourage, even with this brilliant show, Call My Agent from France, it doesn't inspire a lot of academics to pursue this career, and it didn't, it didn't me either. I was booking some bands, and I was a fan of alternative music. Uh, I came from a house full of music, not because we were musicians. My dad just was a jazz file and played and taught me a lot about how to listen and how to trust your ear. And I got into the Grateful Dead, and I got into the communities of music, and that moved me into these alternative bands. And I started to trust, even though there was maybe 12 of us in the theater watching some of these bands, my ear. And that I believed in them, and it moved me. And I learned what it felt to be moved emotionally and, and viscerally by this music. I wasn't a big TV or movie guy. I like sports. I like music. And I stumbled through film school and, and um, wasn't particularly talented as a, as a writer or as a, or as a director. I knew that pretty early on at Boston University. And I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And um, William Morris kind of heard of me because I had booked a band that they were trying to get one of their acts instead of mine. And uh, a personnel director called me when I was a junior. I was, William who? William Mar I didn't really understand it. When I was left with uh, very little to do as I you know, was approaching my senior year, my dad said, write some letters to some alumni in the show business world. See who, who will respond. Maybe you'll get some advice. I did that. I met guys you know, who were smoking pipes and telling me about their journalism career back at ABC News in the 50s. And you know, met a couple of agents, actually, and thought, let me contact the personnel department who had hit me up a year ago. I took the typing test. I went through their program. Somehow they hired me in their mailroom. How did you do on the typing test, Nick? You know better. <laughs> I still can't type. Exactly. Right. So it wasn't the typing that caught their attention, but I, they liked the idea that I was into alternative music. They were booking Vegas acts, and they were really trying to modernize their approach to music. So, but you had already been booking acts in, in, in high school, right? And college, it wasn't really a business. But, like, you just kind of, like, all of a sudden just, like, went into it, you know? I wanted to bring the bands to, to, for my friends to see, and I wanted to see them, and whatever. It was just really kind of a but hobby. Don't you think that, I mean, that was really where you learned how to be an agent? Yeah. I mean, what is it? Well, I also sold agent? cars when I was a kid, yeah. and, I, and I, was, I was someone who could sell. Yeah, but, but yeah, that's what an agent does, right? You we, sell. We tell stories about artists, and we, we, we try to convey our, our, our passion for their voice. And I was able to do that with alternative music that no one liked. And 
somehow, if, if I got explaining who Husker Du was or who the meat puppets were, you would at least sample them before you hated them. And the idea that you'd sample them and that we would have a dialogue meant that I could move people to sample art. And I think that, yeah, that gave me the confidence to go and try the agency. Business. All right. So you end up at William Morris. You right. go through a plethora of bizarre interviews. And tell me what happened next. So you get into the mailroom. You get the call. Uh, you get in the mailroom job. So wait, this is a real thing, like the mailroom, right? Right, I brought the book. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't write the book. But a lot of us are in it, and we tell little stories about what I'm talking about now. And so I you know, flew back to Philadelphia. I got a little backpack. I had some clothes, and I rented a, uh, rented a, uh, I'm sorry, a furnished apartment in the valley. I didn't really know the valley from the basin. We worked in Beverly Hills, and I'm going up cold water every day. It didn't make sense. I figured that out in a few weeks, and I threw myself in the mailroom, and I was part of a really smart class of executives there who've gone on to do greater things than me. Actually, all of my agents, like you, who have been with me 30 years, start in the mailroom. The biggest agents in Hollywood. I sent most of them to you. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, most agents, um, particularly... Uh, most agents start in the mailroom. Is that still a thing? Like if a kid wants to really yeah. go into this, it really is. If huh? a kid wants to go into the agency business or, does, or wants to go into show business and realizes the agency business may be the most secure or only route available, mailroom jobs is where we put them. And you told me it was no walk in the park. It was not. And the period between mailroom and becoming an apprentice and assistant is this thing called dispatch, which no longer exists because they can't put kids like me in stick shift cars all over the house. It was paramount to hazing. It really was very <laughs> difficult. It, it, I think I got mono, and it was hard. But you'd pull up to Cher's house, and the gate would open, and you'd give her an envelope, which is you know maybe a check, or maybe it was a piece of publicity, or maybe it was a contract. You'd have a moment, and you'd get in your car, and then you'd show up at a studio, and you'd go down these huge hallways and in and out of these offices, and this is how you learn show business. And this is how you learn to speak the sort of language of show business, going down these hallways, running around the agency, collecting the mail, dotting the map and figuring out how the town worked. Wow. So from the mailroom, you went into an apprenticeship, right? Become an assistant. They moved me into the music department because I knew music. And I am an assistant to a hard rock music booking agent. But you didn't want to stay in music. Agents in the music business are booking tours. The managers in the music business are holistically managing the careers. Agents for writers, directors, and actors generally and oftentimes are representing the entire holistic career. And you're not just booking dates. Do me a favor because, uh, you know, students that are watching this, they don't understand the difference between an agent, a manager, a lawyer. You know, can you kind of give us a breakdown as to who briefly, does what? It's complicated. Agencies are regulated entities that can only take 10%. Managers can take as much as they want, but they can't make deals with studios. They need to employ an agency or a lawyer. Lawyers are lawyers. They charge hourly. Sometimes they charge a percentage. And there are really no rules in show business other than agents and lawyers are the only ones who can transact business Got it. for artists. Okay. And you told me a little story, and I love this, as to how agents actually became regulated. Maybe you could tell them this. I think it's kind it of a It might not be story. completely accurate, but it goes like this. When managers back in the day would watch 
um, actors, uh, actresses come off buses from who knows where to come to Broadway, and they would spot them, and they would think they were pretty or interesting. They'd give them a card and say, come see me. They'd come see them, and they'd say, I think I can make you a star, and they'd sign contracts where they gave away up to sometimes 50% of their future, and he'd say, you need to get pictures, so the agent would say. And There's a studio next door, and the actress would go over there, and the guy who owned the studio would say, $100, please. And she'd have to go get work and bring the $100 back. And she would a few weeks later get the pictures, take the pictures back to the agent. And the agent say, got it. We're going to send you out and make you a star. And never hear from you. The, the, the actress would never hear from the agent so again. So it's a sham. He owned the photo studio. Yeah. So he's making money, sending people to the photo studio. He has no intention of ever sending anybody out. Occasionally he'd get lucky. There are all the pictures on the wall of the stars that he has never represented, but has pictures of. And eventually the government caught on and tried to make sense of this. All right. So here you are in music. You make a transition into talent. How'd that happen? I went to the head of uh, the William Morris Agency, a guy named Walt Zifkin, smart, smart guy, um, dynamic executive. And I would say to him uh, something like, hey, can I move into another discipline. I'm 22 years old. Music's not for me. And he said, no, I, I quit and uh, started at a innovative artist, which was called Harrison Goldberg. There were three or four of us in the building and I was an assistant to both of them, Harris and Goldberg for $175 a week. Cause the guy at William Morris wouldn't allow me to shift dis disciplines. And then when I got to be a hot agent, so to speak, had some clients that mattered William Morris tried to hire me over the years, and I just was never interested until Endeavor bought them. And early on, you told me a story of how Jason um, Priestley came riding up, 16 years old, on his motorcycle, fresh up from Canada, and you guys signed him right away, right? My bosses thought he was wonderful and interesting, and I was their assistant, and Jason and I became close, and we put him on 90210, and he became a star, and I really learned how to represent stars through my experience with Jason Priestley. He was a giant star at the time, pre-internet. They, they flocked outside like it was the Beatles outside of hotels and studios and places like this. And I really um, learned how to manage those situations through my experience with him. You know, that's so crazy that you say that because our lives ran parallel. I worked for a man named Stanley Vogel. He was considered the Hollywood dentist. And I didn't learn dentistry from Stanley. What I learned was, you know, I was like this poor kid that grew up in the Valley. I learned how to talk to celebrities. I learned how to talk to movie stars. My first day at work, I saw Linda Evans, who was like the hottest thing on TV at the time Dynasty. in Dynasty, and Flip Wilson and Senator Tunney. And like, I never met these people before, you know, and, and that was such a critical part of you know, the success was learning how to actually do that. And Jason Priestley was it for you, huh? He was. And the agents who, who I worked for, uh, one of them was a, an actor turned agent. The other one was a son of a lawyer. And they were, you know, left, left brain, uh, right brain. And Jason was a star and he was more my contemporary. And that whole package really taught me how to do it. I still use Scott Harris's... Um, phone sheet system to this day, how I track to make sure, you know, I follow up and, and, and respond to people. So, yeah, 
Jason Priestley had a lot to do with it, and so did those guys who gave me a shot. You know, uh, we always say at Leap that, you know, the fastest way to success is, is through a mentor. In the industry, who would you say was your greatest mentor, and what did they teach you? Yeah, that's a really hard question because there have been so many sort of mini mentors. I didn't have the godfather who took me through. Right. But, you know, when you're an assistant and you work for Harrison Goldberg and then you come to the guys at UTA as a young partner and they're a class or two ahead of you, you see the good and the bad. I had one partner who we worked with for years and years and years and everything he ever said I disagreed with. He turned out to be a mentor because I realized this wasn't the way to go. He wasn't, you know, um, that responsible. He did give me one bit of advice that um, two words that I think were were valuable. Take Olympic. The idea that that's you, a very good one, too. You can get cross town quicker if you take Olympic anyway. And fountain. It's a joke. But it, the truth is, from him, I learned the kind of agent I don't want to be. And then there were other agents who were. Um, lawyers first or, or others who were managers first or publicists first or studio executives first or like Howard artists first. And because they had different backgrounds, different backgrounds and they didn't really necessarily want to be agents, but ended up being agents. I was able to pick and choose mentor moments from all of them and then kind of formulate what my profile should be and how I would be my, be myself as an agent. And really being myself is what I learned. The great agents were artists themselves, storytellers, and it had to come from being true, being authentic, which for me meant that I had to represent people I really believed in, whether there was commerce there or not, like the alternative bands. That was your secret sauce. Believing in my own taste. Yeah. And And knowing that I could be true to myself in selling those people. You've had this illustrious career. If you had to like sit down and say, this was my crowning moment. This was the project that like put Nick Stevens on the map. What would you say it was? Oh, Jim Carrey, man. I got lucky with Jim Carrey. One of my older partners had the great relationship with the manager and I was in the meeting and he liked me and he was going to CAA since the Ovitz time and they wanted everything. They wanted to stand up. They wanted his television business. He was on Living Color, very sort of early in his career. And I was like, you're the next Steve Martin. You're the next Robin Williams. I just want the movie business. Come on, man. Come on. And he just was into my enthusiasm. And I was genuine. I thought this was the next comedy star. And I didn't care about his TV and his stand-up business. He signs with CAA, wakes up the next day, and decides it wasn't the right decision and comes to us and me. And it was a huge opportunity for me because I really believed in him. We put Ace Ventura together with another client. I started to learn how to package, meaning put artists together that we represented and not just wait for a studio to uh, hire our people, but to literally incubate ideas internally within the agency, the studio within the agency. I did, I did that with Jim and I learned that um, with Jim. And then The Mask, which is another client, Chuck Russell directed, Tom Shadiak directed uh, Ace Ventura. And they, all, they were all clients. And those movies worked out and we were able to get them uh, Dumb and Dumber and uh, big payday. Is this and what they guy. start calling the wheel of comedy where you guys package Apatow the whole thing? coined the wheel of comedy because he, at the hub of it as a writer, producer, um, to this day, is such a genius when it comes to comedy that he 
intersected the lines between Owen Wilson and Wes Anderson and Ben Stiller and Jim Carrey and me and Seth Rogen and Jonah Hill and so many people. He really understood what we were doing and he coined it as the wheel of comedy. And I was like, yeah, that's what this is. And I was like, if nobody gets out and nobody gets in, we can incubate this group and we can make a lot of things happen. And it really invigorated my career. You see, I get excited about it. I know. Uh, look, at, I've been watching you be excited about your career for 30 years. You know, it was it was exciting to be able to identify voices and then give them an opportunity to be true to those voices and find like minded collaborators for them to become stars and enjoy the upside of being true to those voices. All right. So if I'm a student and you're watching this right now and you're saying, OK, I want to be an agent. What do they do? Like, what kind of classes should they take? I mean, this should they just be like, an agent? If, I mean, should they like just apply to them? Can they actually just apply to a mail? Or, like, what, what, what do can. you do? They can. Um, they can. They can apply to any of the agencies, big and small, and tell their story and send their resume and hope to get a phone call. Sometimes people are hiring. Sometimes they're not. Um, sometimes your story will connect. Sometimes your resume will connect. Oh my God, you went to Boston University and the guy who runs the agency went to Boston. Sure. Sometimes there's been a recruitment. Um, executives have gone to various universities and you connect to them. But it's very few people who say, I want to come to Hollywood and I want to be an agent. You find us the second step. And the best books to learn from, read? There are no books, even though we have two here. The Mailroom Book is an entertaining book about people who were in the mailroom um, and their stories, and it's it's good. And this one, and this is a silly book that no one's ever seen, called "Brokerage and Production in Ameri in the American and French Entertainment Industries." What I like about it is it says "Invisible Hands in the Cultural Markets," and we are the invisible hands. Uh, this is written by a woman named Violaine Rose, uh, Roussel, a French professor who I met with a couple times secretly because I was very interested in finding some way to get what we do academically into some book. There is no class. We represent all of the icons that everybody enjoys. Billions of dollars go through our hands. Lots of investment have come to UTA, CAA, and Endeavor over the years. Um, outside money, big money. Endeavor's gone public. But yet there's no path. So there's no books, really. These are things you can dance around with. And... Um, you got to find guys like me, and there, there's plenty of them. You can call an agent at any agency. You look them up and say, would you give me some advice? And most of them would say yes. And then you get the advice, and you start to hear the voices. And is this something that makes sense to you? And then you never know what can happen. The best way to become an agent is to start agenting yourself. The best way to become an actor is act. The best way to become a writer is write. If you're a writer or you're an actor... And you want to come to Hollywood? Don't make your way to our mailroom so quickly. Try to do things that create depth of experience and invigorate your artistry. If you want to be a studio executive, you want to be a manager, you want to be an agent, you want to be in the PR business, mailrooms are the greatest place to start. It's an omniscient view of the business, a lot of action, a lot of interesting personalities, and you learn the voice of Hollywood. What was your biggest challenge as an agent? 
I know you. I know your personality. I mean, you're Mr. ADD, like boom, 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 boom. And, you know, I think one of the things that was probably frustrating for you, if I'm not wrong, is when you're working with people who don't see things as quickly as you do to try and get them on board to really understand um, I would think that would be a, a real challenge for you, but, but I don't know. I mean, what was it that really was your biggest challenge working as an agent? Even though I'm highly energized or have been, I'm getting pretty old. My attention's actually pretty good. I can be impatient, but I'm able to focus and I'm able to read and I'm able to watch cut after cut and I'm able to listen to artists so I can feel them. I sometimes cut to the chase, and yeah, I get impatient. But that wasn't my biggest challenge. My biggest challenge was I couldn't scale a client list. You can't represent 20 people truly. You can't read it all. So you have to delegate. And now you're managing teams, managing clients, which is how every big agency and medium-sized agency works. At the end of the day, it's always an individual experience. And you're delegating, and you're no longer really the drummer of the band, or you're no longer conducting it. You're sharing it, and you're managing the people who are managing the client, as well as managing the client. I found that harder and harder as the years went on. Clients have managers. They have lawyers. They all have very, very smart people collaborating. And sometimes it was hard for me to go against my own voice and instincts right. and follow the taste or the ideas, whether it's a deal-making idea or it's a creative idea, with some of the collaborators. And also, I struggled with the stereotype, the flesh-peddling, slick agent thing. The reason I'm not Googleable in that, in, in, you know, right? I'm, I'm not on the internet and stuff is because I like being invisible. I liked having invisible hands. I, yeah. They were the 90, I'm the 10. And I, I wanted to be behind the scenes. And there's such, especially in the world of social media, a thrust to be out there and have your audience and your followers. and Yeah, that was never you. It was never me, and it's, it's what I'm telling the clients they need to do, and it's what I'm telling the agents they For need sure. to do. So there's a hypocrisy in my own lifestyle and my own privacy, you know, given what I'm trying to teach people and, and have our clients enjoy. So I struggled with that tension. Got it. And speaking of teaching, tell me what you're doing now in your career. I advise and I consult and I invest. And I'm not immersed in any of the companies that I've been involved with. And it's tricky. You know, I'll be 60 years old and it's tough not running these businesses. It's lonely sometimes. But I get called by companies, individuals. I come in. I look at your organization. I talk to your executives. I do a deep dive. We do some what I call drunk drive whiteboarding. Just talk about crazy ideas of what dreams could happen individually for the executives, for the companies, for artists, and um, try to contribute. And then we'll see if it, the you know, relationships continue. Sometimes I serve as an advisor or a board, but I'm on a search. Um, we'll see what happens with me. I don't want to run businesses anymore, but I also um, miss being intimate with the action and with artists. I get it. And so anything could happen with me. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you'd like to talk about before we uh, end this? Uh, I would say to students that everybody is interested in Hollywood. We are 
um, lovers of our televisions and our social media and our movies. And everybody has a story that would be a great script or a cousin who's a great dancer or an uncle who would be perfect on Curb Your Enthusiasm. And of course, it can't work like that. But if you have a burning desire to be a part of it, take the leap. But take it real. Make some phone calls. Send some emails. Take the risk of exposing yourself. Here's the good news. There are no rules in show business. I said it earlier. I'm saying it now. I really never looked at a resume that came across my desk. I don't care where you went to college. I love that. And you know what I love the most? If you want to take a leap, send your kids to leap. We work with kids 15 to 25, and literally there is not a program in the world that does what we do. And I can show you hundreds and hundreds of letters from parents that say, you know what? I sent you a great kid. You sent me back a greater one. We enable these kids. And I'll tell you why Leap works, Nick. You and I have raised kids at the same time. If I tell my daughters to do something, they're not going to do it. But if 10 of their girlfriends tell them to do something, guess what? They do it. I send my kids to you to tell them what to do. <laughs> it's true, <laughs> Ruby. And so, uh, you know, what we do at Leap is these kids come in, we put them in a group with 10 other kids their age and a coach who's gone through the program, and they get this, this, this encouragement and this support from 10 of their peers. And that's really the secret sauce that makes this program work. And then introducing them to great people like Nick and, and other mentors that come in and just share their career with these students. So Nick, thank you so much Thanks, for Dr. making the time to do this. Um, I know I've been your dentist 60 years or 30 years. I got another 30 more. Who knows how long I can keep practicing, but uh, we'll keep that up. And if you want more information about LEAP, please go to leapfoundation.com. And if you'd like more information on the uh, Salvation Army, please look at the little uh, commercial that we're going to play for you now. Dr. Bill, over and out. Love doesn't discriminate. It doesn't pick and choose. When there's so much to fight against, Love fights for. When others flee, love runs toward. And when darkness prevails, love doesn't despair. It never feels too small or too weak or too powerless to help. Love knows its worth and remembers its strength. Love isn't pro this or pro that, but proactive and protective. It's never quick to rage, but always quick to courageous compassion. Love gives everything and expects nothing. For 156 years, the Salvation Army has loved all who feel lost. With your help, we'll never stop. Listen to the Meet the Mentor podcast with Dr. Bill Dorfman on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.